This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Welcome to the Money Pot. I'm Rachel Morrissey, and I'm here with Ian Horn, our head of content in the EU. And Ian is no stranger to our audiences at this point. Hey, Ian, it's so good to have you back again. So, talk to me about this interview you have pre the Amsterdam show. Yeah, great to be with you, Rachel. And and thanks again for the intro. I've not gotten bored of that yet. So really, genuinely, from one professional to another, kudos, fantastic work, as always. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we have an awesome uh, interview uh, coming up for the listeners here with Joanne Dewar, who is a former chair at Global Processing Systems. And she, she's got a, a really, really nice story, actually. She's here to talk about, well, she's going to be in Amsterdam to talk about accessibility and inclusion, just massively important topics, but also to talk about how at this stage in her career, she's taking the time to focus on things that really matter to her, like the really, things that she's always wanted to do and has finally found the time. So this is just an awesome interview with a really cool person who's doing, doing great stuff in the, in, well, in, in, in the industry at large. That sounds really fun. And it's always nice when people finally get to a point in their career where they're like, I don't have to serve anybody except for me. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's get to that interview with uh, Joanne Duarte. Today, I'm joined by Joanne Dewar. Joanne, nice to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great. And how do I introduce you now? Because you're no longer with GPS, right? Correct. I finished just a couple of months ago. And yeah, I'm now really loving having the opportunity to do a whole bunch of things that I'd always been invited to do and never can make time in the diary. So yeah, yeah, still very much uh, at the center of the the payments community. Amazing. Yeah, Anyone in payments, I think is going to know Joe. Could you tell us a bit about your work, also your career history too, but basically who is Joanne Dewar? Cool. Good question. Because I think it's it's about a lot more than just the, the jobs that I've had. I've been leading uh, global processing services as CEO for four years, uh, and I just stepped down from the vice chair role, but I was actually there for over nine years. And so in global processing services is an issuer processor. So it's the tech behind the tech for a huge number of fintechs and challenge banks. And we've really been at the epicenter of the financial revolution that everyone recognizes sort of really started in London and the UK and and from there has uh, spread across the world. So I had a real privilege to be right at the center of that journey for a huge number of different fintechs. And yeah, I had a privileged seat and position to be able to both participate and influence that journey. So aside from that, I'm absolutely passionate about diversity and inclusion. So helping uh, move the needle and helping to really understand what allyship means uh, to be able to help move the dial in diversity in all sorts of, of dimensions. And uh, as part of that, I'm in, going to be enjoying leading projects ESG for the Payments Association. Amazing. That's such a great remit of, of, of things that you're doing. And I love the fact that after having your career in payments, which obviously is still ongoing, you've turned it towards things that you're passionate about. I mean, is that, was that deliberately the, uh, the decision there? Yeah, absolutely. I've had uh, all sorts of opportunities, which I've been very fortunate about. But all the time you're CEO, generally, you know, heads down on uh, delivery, of course. So now I find that I've got the opportunity to spend a little bit more time leaning in, uh, supporting initiatives that I I care deeply about, and also a whole bunch of, of mentoring behind the scenes, which I'm really, really enjoying. Incredible. And Joe, I'm going to ask you a question now, 
which we're going to come back to towards the end of the podcast. So here's one just to keep in your mind. Imagine that I'm giving you a bag of cash. And as I always say, I don't do that very often, Joe, okay? I'm giving you a bag of cash. Half of it has to be invested in a, a fintech theme or sector that you're going to sell out. You're going to sell, liquidate the position for whatever reason in one year. The other half, you're going to liquidate in 10 years. Now, at the end, they're going to ask you what you're investing in, what big trends and themes that you think are going to work. We'll come back to that. Now, one area that's really in your wheelhouse is inclusive payments. How can the payments industry provide a better experience for people who might feel excluded? And who do you think has been excluded so far? That's a big question. Uh, yes, it's and huge. So I think... I've asked three things at once. It really, really <laughs> helps. But let's try and unpack it. So, yeah, let's unpack it. Let's uh, start very briefly with sort of a comment on what is financial inclusion, because I think it's really important to understand that uh, inclusion is not a continuum from the excluded on, on one end of a spectrum to include in, it, in the other. There are a huge amount of different scenarios of people that are excluded for very different reasons. And uh, what fintech's been uh, brilliant at is being able to create focused propositions that are targeted to support uh, specific groups of people in specific circumstances. So to be able to solve for the lack of uh, whether it's fixed address, whether it's credit history, whether, you know, there's lots and lots of different sort of sub-themes to it. And I think that inclusion is has not been solved. There are more products, financially inclusive products out there than there have been previously. But at the same time, the sadly, the number of people that are in financially vulnerable circumstances has increased as with the with the cost of living crisis with the rampant inflation with the difficulties in securing access to to low cost credit as as a few examples inclusions about giving access to the instruments the products the tools but at the same time what we need to do is make sure we are uh, equipping people with the knowledge and understanding of how to use these tools to their advantage. So that's where financial literacy comes in. Um, we're going to be speaking a lot about different initiatives that are uh, underway for either targeted groups like children or like specific circumstances in order to increase uh, financial uh, literacy and also to be able to somehow increase the good financial behaviours that help people help themselves. And when you bring these two objectives together, the inclusion, the accessibility to the products and the financial literacy, then what you bring together is financial empowerment. And that's what's really exciting. I think that's really wonderfully put. One more thing on that topic, though. Could you point out any examples, any tools that you think are particularly useful in this space that are really helping to boost inclusion in payments? Well, I think one of the things that's really difficult for those that are in you know, financially vulnerable positions is how soul destroying it is when you're looking for solutions and you keep being told no. And so one of the things where we're seeing change happen is how can we help the answer to be, we can't help you here, but you could go down this route instead. So there are 
more tools being created, whether it's leveraging the capabilities of open banking and open finance, whether it's uh, leveraging the capabilities of machine learning for particular uh, scenarios to be able to help improve credit decisioning, for example. There are ways in which we can improve the experience for people who are already, you know, feeling disenfranchised with the, with the whole system when, you know, it, it's really uncomfortable when they are having to look for for help, for, for credit or for uh, solutions. Mm-hmm. Next thing I want to ask about is the credit market. Because you just said credit there, which is convenient. How is credit really helping people with financial inclusion right now? Are there any innovations going on that are useful? Because I guess one of the, the issues with credit, right, is it focuses on people who need money. And that can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, depending on how, you know, who's using it and how. So do you see any innovation going on right now in the credit market that is helping people with the cost of living crisis and, and so on? There's all sorts of innovation going on uh, in the credit space, but sadly, there is not enough affordable credit available at the right time for those that that need it. So there are lots of dimensions to uh, affordable credit from on the one hand, uh, buy now, pay later to these uh, on the other, the support of uh, credit unions and many other options uh, in between. Yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, there are challenges of providing affordable credit to people with lower credit ratings or you know or reduced credit history right is that just something we have to accept or do you see improvements in in kind of risk assessment that might help us provide perhaps fairer terms for people what we're seeing is some really interesting innovation going on where for example there are credit builder products so there are uh, products out there that enable people to create a credit uh, history to be able to to have access to other products and services. There's opportunity to uh, to leverage open banking. There's opportunity to uh, be able to use alternate uh, sources of data to be able to form a view of a person in order to make credit decisions. So there's lots of different innovation and, and options out there that we're looking to be able to surface and looking to also be able to identify what we think are going to be the the, the next trends going forward. Because what we've actually got is sort of several themes that are starting to converge. So you've got the open banking moving towards open finance. You've got uh, consumer duty that's that's coming into force this July. You've got the uh, the evolution of a AI and, and robo advice. And these, you know, we've got a really rich tapestry as all these different threads of conversation are coming together to be able to really think about, right, how do we leverage all of these things to be able to provide the, the best opportunity and experience for consumers and, and businesses alike? Brilliant. And I want to move on to another topic now, which I know you're very passionate about, which is diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And you're going to be talking about that in Amsterdam as well, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, could you share some tips with us on how we can create a better workforce in terms of people's physical or even neurological needs? As CEO of GPS, I've really enjoyed a uh, journey of discovery uh, with diversity and, in- and inclusion in its wider sense. And on that journey, I've really explored and understood myself as a as a leader what the the role of allyship really is. And what I mean by that is 
leaning in to really understand the lives and worlds of people who are different to me, understanding their challenges and creating uh, opportunities and then sharing their experience and opening doors for them with others that are more like me and ultimately uh, giving the opportunity to give those people a voice. And that's the same objective, regardless of which dimension of diversity and inclusion we're talking about, whether we're looking at simply gender, whether we're looking at race or whether, and uh, this is an area that I'm leaning into more now, is uh, disability inclusion. I feel like I've been on a, a personal journey. We talk often about um, a, a change journey where you go from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. And I'm just in, in that piece at the moment <laughs> where actually I, I didn't realise how little I'd really thought about it. And, uh, and the more I've uh, sort of lent in and, and learned and, and spoken with people, the more I realise just how much there is to be done. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think we, with these kind of things, we've got to be almost prepared to fail a little bit, haven't we, if we're going to move forward. I'd like to ask you some more, some more questions on that, actually, because people often talk about diversity and inclusion as being just a nice and a decent thing to do, which it is. What operational benefits have you seen from you know, implementing these changes at GPS? Well, certainly the primary focus should be to ensure that you're creating a sense of belonging. This isn't just a, a numbers game or indeed um, a charity what you're seeking to do is create a an engaged and uh, committed workforce that is happy and keen to go to work each day and and give the best of themselves. That's what we're all uh, seeking to do. But I think what we tend to do is not look wide enough as to the the pool of talent that is out there and understand their needs or potentially sort of minor adaptations to how we run our running of our business day to day and what our definition of, of good looks like. And if we can challenge those perceptions, plus also thinking more broadly where we're sourcing talent, then what comes back to the organisation pays back in absolute spades. Definitely. That's a good answer. Uh what three takeaways do you want people to take from the sessions that you're speaking at? First up, I think there is, there's, there's a long way to, to go. There's much to do. Uh, financial inclusion is more important than ever. So the audience is much broader of, of people that uh, we're trying to support. Uh, you know, there's new categories of, of people, uh, the, the working poor, those that could just about cope previously, but have now found themselves in, in financial difficulty. But this huge opportunity, because as I mentioned earlier, as these, as there are multiple themes that are, are coalescing, actually, mashing the uh, the opportunities created by open finance and by AI in order to to really be able to come together to uh, create this you know this idea that I'm calling financial empowerment I think is is really very exciting and uplifting that's wonderful what advice would you have for someone who's new to money 2020 or or perhaps has been a few times but is still wondering how to make the most of the experience? How can you do that? How can you make the most of the experience? Uh, firstly, definitely take time to look at the content before you go. 
And uh, because there's nothing worse than sort of looking sort of a day, two days into the agenda and thinking, oh, I wish I'd gone to that bit. So planning what you plan to uh, go and see and then go to a couple of things that aren't necessarily mainstream for you. You know, if your business proposition is focused on a particular area, don't isolate yourself to that particular topic, because I say these mashing together of these different threads is is where the the next generation of of innovation um, and and the future is heading. The other aspect I'd say is you know many people are there because of you know representing their company in the stands, and certainly um, I think in my sort of earliest experiences of going to Money Twenty Twenty, it was all about the the show floor for us and uh, business opportunity generation, and that still remains really important, but. Whatever your role, you're missing a trick if you don't go and attend a few sessions because it's all there for the taking. And one of our themes this year is now and next. So, you know, the thinking behind this is it's really exciting to focus on everything that's going to happen in the future, right? And look five, 10 years down the line. But it's also so important to look at what's actually happening now so people get some tangible takeaways that they can really act on immediately. In that vein, what do you think the big now trend is within inclusion? And then beyond that, what what do you think is next? So I think the now trend is all tied to uh, consumer duty, which is coming in force this summer, because, you know, that is really sort of mandating ensuring that the best interest of the, the consumer is at the heart of every proposition. The key to that is that it will unlock the capability of moving, then moving the dial a bit on the uh, financial advice, hopefully, and then making the financial advice more accessible to more people. So I think that's the near and now. I genuinely believe that the the future bit is all around the future of the workforce and diversity and inclusion. And I think enough is starting to happen now that in five years' time, we'll be looking at the standout success stories of our space. And when we're asked, looking to ask the questions of, right, how was this company successful over and above that company? And I believe emphatically that so much is going to come down to how people addressed their internal focus on ESG, on diversity and inclusion, and who they brought into the team and how they treated them. And so I think we're going to start to really see, and, and this is really important because, you know, so much investment goes into uh, companies where the investors feel they can uh, trust those leadership teams. And what so often they're looking to do in that is pattern match. So what they're looking to do is identify, here's a set of companies that have done really, really well, right? What was their secret so that we can uh, reflect and replicate that in our future investments? So I think there's enough happening now such that in five years time, we'll see the success stories We'll see some of the co- common threads were the focus on the uh, the value in the teams and, uh, you know, creating that diversity of thought, having those individuals with life experiences that's 
meant that they've they've really got sort of grit at their heart. There's lots of academic studies about how that's so important, but we're not really recruiting for grit. You don't hear that. But I think that's going to come to the fore. And then that's what we're going to be looking to replicate in the investments in years to come. Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. I'm going to take us back to earlier in the interview now, where I was talking about that hypothetical bag of money. And anyone that's been to the pub with me knows that is a hypothetical bag of money. What are you investing it in? Remember, one of these things, well, half of it has to be liquidated a year from now, the other half, 10 years from now. What themes or trends do you think you're picking for those? So the here and now is about um, access to affordable credit products and the ability to help consumers find navigate to be able to find what is available to them. So that would be what I'd support here and now. For the long term, uh, it now won't uh, surprise you that it's it's all around making sure that we are investing in uh, diverse teams and uh, helping through what we can do as uh, allies to create the very best teams for the future. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great uh, hearing you talk, not just about payments, but also about diversity and inclusion. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. We also want to thank Joanne Dewar for sharing her thoughts with us. We appreciate your time. And if you want to be part of the Money Pot, please send us a pitch at podcast at money2020.com. Don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be seeing you again soon.